0: hi my name is greg i'm one of the ministers at oec it's such a great thing to open god's word together uh, and read it together and be challenged by it and it's my privilege to be able to open that and do that with you today uh the passage we'll be looking at is john 17 verses 20 to 26 so please have your bibles open to that as we finish off this series on an evening with jesus let's pray father god thank you for this part of your word as we listen once again to Jesus, pray to you the night before he dies. Father, help us to be struck once again by the wonder of who you are and what you've done in the person of your son. And help us to think hard and work through and apply what it means to live as your people, your disciples in this world. And we pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen. What are you like whenever you face something big, a crisis of some sort? Uh, It might be a difficult conversation you need to have with someone. It might be a financial decision, a big one, that you need to make, a hard one. It might be an exam that you need to pass. Those of you who are about to sit the HSC, for some of you, it will feel like a crisis. For others, it'll just feel like another exam, maybe a little bit more. For me, the beginning of the HSC was like a crisis. I remember praying so hard to Jesus that he would return more fervently than any other time in my life. It was just so all-consuming. When we're about, about to face a crisis like that, the whole thing can really simply take over our thoughts. We get consumed with this upcoming event, whatever it might be. We get tunnel vision. Unable to see the needs of others around us, we expect others instinctively to understand that the world needs to revolve around me for a while. Now, for those of you about to start that big quiz, a quick word. There is life after the HSC. Yes, it's a big thing, completely. But it's not the summation of life itself. See it as a learning process more than a massive event that will mean success or failure in life. But as I think through the ways that we all deal with crisis points in our life, I'm gobsmacked at what we read in these verses in John 17. Jesus is about to face a massive crisis. He's about to be rejected, abandoned, unjustly tried, tortured and horrifically killed. Worst of all, he's about to take upon his shoulders the full weight of all of our sin and the anger of the Heavenly Father for the way that we have incited his fury. And he ends this prayer just hours before all this begins to unfold by praying For you and for me. Verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That just blows my head. Doesn't it blow yours? Jesus stops the night before he dies and he prays for you if you trust in him. You are in his thoughts. You are in his prayers. These verses are are, are absolutely stunning. And we would do well to look through this prayer, to think it through and see what it is that Jesus took the time to pray for you and for me. And let that shape the way that we think about what it means to be a disciple, a follower, a learner of Jesus. But before we look at what it is that Jesus prays for us, have a look again at verse 20. Let's think for a minute about what it means that we are among those who believe through the words of the Apostles, as Jesus says in this verse. What it means is that you and I are just one generation removed from the apostolic witness. We are just one generation removed from the Jesus, the God in the flesh, who came and healed and loved and died and rose again. We know Jesus in much the same way as those in the first century who knew the Apostles, who heard their witness. In fact, there's actually a sense in which we are even better off than those who might have known the apostles personally. Why? Because we have in our hot little hands the full counsel of the words of the apostles, the complete apostolic witness in the words of the New Testament. And in Australia, we have more access to this living word of God, to knowing God as revealed in the person of Jesus than any generation before us with our unparalleled access to this apostolic witness. I mean, you can search the Bible on your phones in Bible Gateway in dozens of different versions. That is such an astounding privilege to know our God so well And to be so closely connected, just one generation removed from Jesus. But with that privilege comes responsibility. The responsibility of being ambassadors for Christ. Now, I know we looked at this idea last week. Last week, you might remember, we met Brendan Byrne, if you were here, Australia's ambassador to France. Well, let's meet another ambassador, one with a slightly more challenging role, Graham Fletcher. Graham Fletcher is Australia's ambassador to China. Now that is a challenging position to have right now. He needs to carefully consider his words, his works, knowing that he's under scrutiny and carefully observed. He needs to ensure that he promotes Australia in China and tread a very careful diplomatic line. We, as we saw last week, we are ambassadors of Jesus. Here on official business, as we speak, we need to speak knowing that our words need to represent him, that our actions need to reflect on him. And in this prayer of Jesus, we will see that what he's praying for is that we would be people who live as his ambassadors in this world. And you see that in verse 21. May they also be in us, so that the world may know that you have sent me. Verse 23, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. We are the way that the world will come to know God in Jesus. We are God's sent ones with a little s. And in these verses, we see how we need to do this. Have a look at verse 21. What does Jesus pray for us? That all of us may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. And so our unity as Christians is key to understanding what we need to do as ambassadors for Jesus in this world. Let me unpack this prayer for unity and what it might mean for us. And the first thing we need to see first and foremost is that we are to be united together with those who are like us united to christ his prayer is for those in verse 20 who will believe in the message of the apostles and so this unity is a unity with those who believe in the apostolic gospel our unity is grounded in our unity with Jesus. This means that if people believe a different gospel, a different message, even if they might call themselves Christian, well, we are not one. We are not united with them. If people do not believe the gospel that the apostles handed to us, the Jesus we meet in their witness of these chosen sent ones, then the Jesus that they believe in is not the Jesus of history. It's a different Jesus. And the unity that Jesus prays for here is not a unity with them. Jesus is not praying here for all denominations to, to put down their differences and combine and unite together under one banner. Why? Well, because not all who call themselves Christians believe in, the, in Jesus revealed in the Apostolic Gospel. Some deny the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Some deny the reality of hell. Some deny that it's the death of Jesus that once for all pays for our sins. Some deny salvation through grace alone, through the death of Jesus alone. And if we were to unite under the same banner, then what would we unite in? What would be our common belief with people who think differently on those sort of issues? It would have to be the lowest common theological denominator. It might just be the name of Jesus and that's it. But it's not the Jesus that we meet in the apostolic gospel. Such a unity would be a denial of the truth and would not bring any true witness of the true Jesus to a world that so desperately needs to come to know God in the Jesus we meet in the apostolic witness. The unity that Jesus prays for here is a unity in a common belief in the apostolic gospel. A unity grounded in our common unity with God in Christ through the message of Jesus' sent ones with a capital S. So what is it? What sort of unity is Jesus praying for in these verses? Well, have a look again at verse 21. Jesus prays that all of them may be one, just as you are in me and I am in you. Our unity, one with another, is to be patterned off the unity that exists between the Father and the Son. And what does that look like? Well, throughout these chapters, chapters 13 to 17, we've seen that the Father and Son are united in two particular ways. Firstly, our unity should be shown in self-sacrificial, other-person-centred love because unity in the Godhead is expressed in that sort of love. Secondly, our unity should be shown in a unity of purpose, in the unity of what we're working towards. As God in Trinity works together for a common goal and common aim, so should we. So the unity that Jesus prays for amongst those who trust in him is a unity shown in love and in common purpose and work. But what will it mean for this prayer of Jesus to be answered, for us to live out this unity so that the world would see that Jesus has come from the Father and find true life in him? Well, let's unpack that unity and see what it looks like in practice by exploring what it means to express true Christian unity in three different and important ways. In truth, in love, and in purpose or gospel endeavour. Firstly, expressing true Christian unity in truth. As I mentioned before, our unity is a unity in the truth about Jesus, a unity in our common belief in the apostolic gospel. So if we are to live out this unity, then we need to work hard at reminding each other, encouraging each other, speaking to one another this truth that unites us. If we are to be ambassadors of Jesus together, we need to be reminding each other of the truth by reading his word together, by spurring one another on to know God and to love God more and more. It'll mean rebuking, encouraging, correcting, teaching, training, reminding that our unity will be grounded in the truth, not grounded in just simply personal commitment alone. And this aspect of living at our unity as ambassadors for Jesus echoes throughout the rest of the New Testament witness. Like this one in Ephesians chapter 4, a favourite passage of mine that describes what it is to live out this unity in truth in Christ. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head. That is Christ. From Him... The whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So we need to ask the question, are we doing this? Are we speaking the truth in love one to another? Are we living as ambassadors of Jesus and working hard at this unity by speaking words of truth and encouragement and rebuke and reminder all the time after church, during growth group, one to one? Church, over Zoom or online, is such a pale replacement for being able to get together, isn't it? But one thing I think that's forced us to do is to work harder at talking about God stuff after church, in breakout rooms and in question times. I've been encouraged, by the way, that people are chatting about God at church, through Zoom and online. And let me encourage you, now that we are starting to meet back together that we continue to do that and don't sleep when we return. Let's make the most of every opportunity to speak the truth in love, to grow our unity in the truth and together to get to know our God in the person of Jesus more and more as we look forward to his return. Let's be people who, during growth group, at church, over a coffee, wherever, let's be people who are part of this answer to this prayer of Jesus, that we will be one united in common trust in the Jesus we meet in the apostolic witness. Secondly, expressing true Christian unity in love. As we saw last week, the God that we believe in is a God of love, who loves within the Godhead, within the Trinity itself. And that love is to be the pattern of other person-centred love that we must express as well in Christian unity. So if we are to be one, in much the same way that the Father and the Son are one, that must be lived out in other person-centred, sacrificial love. Have a look at verse 26. Jesus prays that the love that the Father has for him will be in us too. This takes us right back to the start of this series as we witnessed Jesus stoop down to wash the disciples' feet. What did Jesus say in applying this this radical demonstration of love for the disciples, he said this later in the chapter, he said, "A new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. It's in this expression of unity that we begin to see how our unity will be the way that the world will come to know and love our Saviour as we do. They should be able to see our love for each other. One thing that God used to bring me into relationship, in living relationship with him, was the love of Christians one for another. Uh, when I was in year six, I went to a youth group. At the youth group, it was large, largely made up of kids that were significantly older than myself. And in year six, you can begin to think that year eight boys, for instance, you know, older boys just really don't care about you because basically they don't. But at youth group, I witnessed something that was very different. I witnessed genuine love. So when these boys cared for me, were interested in me, included me, and clearly loved one another, that had a massive impact on me. I knew I didn't have what they had, and I wanted it. And I suspect that if, if we talked with those around us, we would find similar stories in other places, in many other people's lives too. In fact, I was hugely encouraged recently when I heard of the testimony of someone who came to one of our congregations and was struck by the way that they were loved and by the way that they witnessed love one of another. And for this reason they stayed, they continued to listen to God's word, they came to know and trust Jesus and grew in their knowledge and love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this aspect of living out our unity in Christ in love also echoes through the rest of the New Testament. Just one passage to help us reflect on what this love really needs to look like from Colossians 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have a grievance against someone. Forgive, as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Loving one another is not just about spending time with people that we already like. It's about being other person-centred, sacrificial, as Jesus has loved us. It'll mean sometimes hard conversations. It'll always mean seeking other people's good, their growth, their perseverance, rather than just simply seeking their approval. Thirdly, finally, expressing Christian unity in gospel endeavour. The purpose of our unity, our Christian unity in Christ in this passage, verse 21, is that the world would believe that Jesus was sent by the Father, that they would come to know and love the God that we have come to know, the God revealed in the person of Jesus. God is united, Father, Son and Spirit, in the work of the gospel, And as they are united in goal and in purpose and in gospel endeavour, so we are to be united, working together as servants of God together, as ambassadors of Jesus. And this is the way that the world will come to believe in Jesus, through us working together for the sake of the gospel, reaching out together, partnering with one another in gospel endeavour. In this whole prayer, in these verses, from verse 20 to 26, the prayer isn't that the world would look into the church see the unity of believers and through that, alone come to know Jesus. Now, that does happen sometimes, but but rarely, really. No, this prayer is that together, as ambassadors for Jesus, we would reach out to a lost world with a message of hope, that the world would be invited to come in and see the love the Christians have, one for another, and for them, to hear the message of hope and be introduced to the God who made them. And again, this idea echoes through the rest of the New Testament. One passage that really encapsulates it is this one from Philippians. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you, or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one person for the faith of the gospel." That is such a helpful picture to paint, isn't it? Standing together as one person for the sake of the gospel. And it captures the unity that Jesus is praying for in John chapter 17. That'll mean encouraging one another when someone's being persecuted. Keeping one another accountable to proclaiming Christ to this broken world. Partnering with others in in reaching out with this powerful message, this powerful apostolic word, to a world that so desperately needs to hear it going on gospel mission together with those around us. And the question is, are we doing this? Are we standing as one person for the cause of the faith of the gospel that has been entrusted to us? Can we be described as being on mission together, contending together as ambassadors for the risen Lord Jesus Christ? Now, we're able to do this in all sorts of different ways. We can go and teach scripture in our schools one with another, and with others from different churches in Orange. We can go on beach fishing together with one another, and also with others from other churches. We can lead together in youth group, OEC youth, or Adrenalines. When we move into our building, one of the things that we hope to to kick off again is Zone. That's another great way to stand together as one person for the faith of the gospel. But there are so many other ways as well. We, we need to be scheming together to help one another reach Orange. We need to be asking one another, who are you sharing the gospel with and how can I help you to do that? There are so many things that we can do to stand together as one person for the cause, for the faith of the gospel, united in gospel endeavour. In our growth groups, we should be keeping each other accountable to playing our role as ambassadors for Jesus. And also praying together for our linked missionaries. Is church a place where you come together to stand as one person for the cause of the gospel? Or is it a place you come to be with others who think in similar ways to you? Like a club. Do you come to to church to be an active partner in gospel endeavour with others? To partner with them? To speak the truth in love? Or do you come as a consumer? a recipient, to feel loved and cared for. Now we should be loved and cared for, of course, but we should come not to be loved, but to love, to speak the truth, to work together for the sake of the faith of the gospel. Now over the last ten weeks we have sat down with Jesus and we, together with the disciples, have watched him wash the disciples feet we have listened with the disciples as he prepared them for the glory and wonder of what was about to unfold for them the glory and horror of the cross followed by the glory and power of the resurrection we've listened to jesus as he prepared his disciples for his departure and spoke of his continuing work in this world through his spirit through the disciples and through us who would believe in their message. Jesus is at work today through his spirit, through his powerful apostolic witness, and he's continuing to reveal the Father through his work in us as his ambassadors. His sent ones with a little S. What a great work to be included in, entrusted with, and we need God's help in this. So of you join me in praying to God to help us in this great work. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son. We thank you that you sent your apostles. We thank you that you now send us. Father, help us to be people united in Christ. Help us be people who love one another in Christ and that people would see that and want to know why and want to be like that too and want to know the God that we know. Father, we pray that you would help us to reach out in gospel endeavour. Help us to encourage one another and build one another up with the truth. And help us to reach out to a world who so desperately needs to know the God that we know. We pray that in the coming weeks and months, you would work surprisingly and powerfully through our fallen efforts to grow your kingdom in wonderful ways. And we pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen.